How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. Now we move to James Wright. James is a diversity and inclusion strategist. He's previously managed NBC Universal's talent acquisition pipeline development, and he was the 2012 diversity director of the Staffing Management Association of Southern California. James, more than a pleasure to have you with us. Good afternoon. Happy Tuesday. Hi. Good afternoon, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You wrote a couple of pieces, more than a couple, but two that we're talking about uh, in uh, this hour. One entitled The America We Live In, A Story of Black and White, and another 12 Things You Can Do Today to Improve Race Relations in Your City. So let's start, yeah. start to talk about the America we live in. I was driving down the road today, and I heard somebody use the phrase white culture. And I thought, how many people are going to drive off the road when they hear that? But right. there, <laughs> there, and, and I want to tell you something really quick, which I think you might agree with. Um, I, I've been a talk show host for uh, 26 years, and I've always worked alone with one exception. I was working in uh, Chicago, and after the O.J. Simpson trial, the station flipped to a country music format, and I moved to San Francisco. I got engaged and got a gig out there. They asked me a year later to come back to Chicago. They wanted me to co-host a show, and uh, one of the guys, but it needed to be um, passed by and okay and approved by the head guy. He was an African-American. I am white, and the woman I'd be working with is African-American. She was more of a Democrat and a liberal, as I am. Mm -hmm. And when we had the interview in his office, he said to me, well, you're both women, and you're both kind of liberal and Democrats. Maybe don't agree on 100% of things, but how, how can I pair the two of you together and make this show work? And I said, because I'm white and she's black. And she's going to come from some issues from a black point of view, and I'm going to come from a white point of view. And right. he looked at me and he said, you're hired. And, the, and, and later we had talked about it, that there are white people that either don't want to admit this or talk about it. Black people, I think, are much more open to admit it. But th- that there is a story of black and white in America. There is a black and white mindset. It doesn't mean we're entirely different human beings and their blood isn't red. Uh, you know, those that are, you know, white to black or black to white. But there, there is a black culture, a white culture, and perhaps a way a white community perceives something differently uh, than a right. black community. It's not 100% across the board. But you agree, and obviously, when you talk about and write in the America we live in, uh, about this kind of a point. Right. I think that uh, because the way we have seen white culture um, really talked about in media uh, settings, most of the time it's been done in a negative way. Like, for example, when we talk about the shooting in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, we're talking about the undercurrent of the culture that existed in America and currently exists that allowed that to happen. Um, when people hear that word, I think people go back to, for example, the KKK time, as opposed to understanding where we are today. Um, when we think about black culture, people think about, I think, the influences that happen today, but you don't see a lot of necessarily negative side from the black side about that culture of thought. You do see that in media, the negative side. So it depends on how you're calling or how you really define the word uh, culture. But at the end of the day, we all have a different set of experiences. We wake up every morning and we interact with individuals in a different way based on who we are and how we perceive in the world. 
do you think that why does the American public have such a hard time having this conversation? This is a conversation that's beyond long overdue in 2015. Right. Do you agree? I agree, and I think the main reason is because we love to believe that we fix this when we pass laws around civil rights uh, legislation. And I've often said that passing the law is really when the hard work begins. I think people think passing the law is when we end the hard work. Um, and I explain that and tell people at the time you pass the law is when you're actually working on changing hearts and minds. Um, right now we're having a conversation in America around civil rights, uh, African-Americans, but there's also a conversation around civil rights around um, uh, people uh, specifically in the gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual community. And as that is happening, we're also realizing that a lot of hearts and minds haven't changed, and that's when that hard work begins. Um, that doesn't mean we solved any problems necessarily. Um, I've often uh, been quoted saying that when President Obama won his first election, that we were not ready for a president who was biracial, much less someone who would identify as African-American. And I said that because it would force us to have a conversation around race, whereas having a white president, we did not have that conversation on a national level because leadership didn't have to have that conversation. Now you have leadership that looks very different, and as a result, it, it warrants the ability to have a conversation we've never had it before. And I think that's why we're where we are. Some people are assuming that we've moved back in time around race. And I said the reality is we're just talking about something we haven't really technically discussed for probably since we passed civil rights legislation, and then only when we had the uh, Rodney King situation and, of course, the O.J. Simpson trial. But outside of those situations, we pretty much haven't had a national conversation around the inequities that happen within the communities of color. And when the president speaks of this, and the president did and, and, and continues to, right? do you think that helps to move the conversation alone, along because he is biracial, he is the first African-American president, and especially with what's going on, the deaths in South Carolina, uh, the police brutality, uh, riots in Ferguson, things like that? Most definitely. But I think it's not just because he's president. Uh, as you pointed out, it's also because he's biracial. Um, and I think that he uh, is able to see both communities because he actually has lived in both communities. And I think having that experience gives him the ability to really talk about it from a different set of experiences. Um, what I'd love to see more of is more people who are white men having a conversation around the inequities. Um, as we've seen just recently in the past few days, uh, the conversation around the Confederate flag in South Carolina. Now, I'm originally from South Carolina. Anyone who's black who has lived in that state Hold, hold that knows. thought. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Talking with James Wright, a diversity and inclusion strategist. He's in, written a couple of pieces, one of which, uh, two of which we're talking about. The first, uh, The America We Live In, A Story of Black and White, Mr. James Wright. James, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Please continue. My apologies for interrupting. I was so in, interested in what you were talking about. I forgot, oh, yeah, we're on radio. i got to take a commercial break. But here right. we are, and we are back. Uh, you talk about, and you begin your piece uh, talking about um, that our biggest problem in our nation is a constant denial that we have a race problem. I'd like you to finish what you were saying and also to speak to that. Um, give us an example or two of the denial and, and why you feel this denial exists. Right. I, I think, I mean, we have data that goes back decades that show the disparities between African-Americans and white individuals in this country. Um, and I think the thing that I think is most telling is we've accepted it as truth, as more importantly, as this is just the way things are. And we sort of attach, I think, things from like saying oh, African-Americans, for example, might be lazy 
or Hispanic Latinos might be not having the right education, as opposed to realizing this data uh, is, I think, at the end of the day, is raw data. So when you look, for example, um, at millennials, um, we look at that generation and we think, oh, these are going to be the savior that come in and fixes, I think, what uh, a lot of people believe has been decades of oppression of people of color. And then you realize that some of them, when you look at the data and peel it back, you do have more African Americans, Latinos, and Asians in that group who don't hold those same beliefs when it comes to uh, overt uh, bias or racist behavior. However, when you look at white individuals, the data shows us that white males and white females have actually the almost identical same bias that their parents have. So when we've seen studies that say, oh, these people are going to be better on race, we have to look at the data to figure out who we're talking about. And I think at the end of the day, we haven't actually spent more time looking at it and realizing that's the reality. There was actually a study that was done a number of years ago where we took resumes. And I think it was like 50 to 100 different resumes, half of them with black names, half of them with white names. And we sent them out uh, to um, um, uh, prospective employers, and the people who were white had 50% more chance at actually getting an interview and getting a callback. Some of them actually were actually hired based on just their resume. And by the way, the resumes were identical. The only thing that was different was the names. You had Emily and Greg versus Jamal, for example, and maybe Tawanda, and not realizing that people make decisions all day long, whether it be unconsciously or consciously, based on a set of rules, based on a set of experiences. And most of, most of us walk around all day long not realizing we are doing that unconsciously. Um, some of us are doing it consciously. Let's take some calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Cliff is in Virginia on line one. would like to weigh in on the conversation. Cliff, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Good afternoon, Leslie. And I just want to say thank you for keeping this uh, dialogue going. I think it's very important if we're going to try to make any progress in our country. Oh, I agree, and I think our guests would agree. Do you have anything beyond that to say, Cliff, a question maybe for the guest? Yeah, well, I just, I guess more of my comment would be as it relates to just South Carolina and just race relations overall is I think that it always seems as though the burden to deal with race relations, and this is just from my perspective as an African-American, is on us. Like when we experience racial disparity, it's almost like we always take the forgiveness route and we're always asking for people to be better and do better, but yet the racism persists. And it really makes you ask the question, what exactly do the races want to achieve? You know, what is their end goal? You know, what do they hope to achieve by, you know, disenfranchising people, discriminating against people? You know, what do they hope to gain? And the foolishness of thinking that people are just going to allow themselves to be mistreated as subhuman, you know, and I think that that's the... And I think we need to start holding our elected officials more accountable for engaging in political policies that undermine specific communities. And we need to hold entities accountable that stoke racial animus in people. I think the biggest issue with the whole shooting was not as much the shooting as if the environmental influence that led to the shooting. Uh, so we have right. to address these things as a nation together, you know, and realize we're all in this together. We're all one country. We're all the United States of America. And no one group is better than the other. And people need to stop thinking that they're better and then entitled them to mistreat people. Uh, that's all I have. And thank you for the opportunity to speak on your show. Thank you very much, thank Cliff, uh, for your call, listening and participating today. Uh, James, uh, a response? Yeah, I was going to say I absolutely agree with you. I think one of the th- biggest things, a lot of people like look, look at the shooter as though 
this was a rogue individual, not realizing the culture that raised and encouraged that particular individual. Um, you know, if you look to his uh, friends who've been interviewed, they talked about a pattern of constant jokes, uh, racial jokes, for example. And a lot of people have brushed that off. Oh, that's nothing until it becomes something. And I've said long ago that we have to begin to start holding people accountable. That doesn't mean uh, just uh, my friends and my family, but it also means our legislators. Uh, I talk about in the article specifically, we have to be more involved in the process of politics. That means, for example, making decisions to hire people or not um, to be our legislators who actually hold values that are inclusive. Um, if I look, for example, of your friendship circle, whether it be your professional or personal, and notice in that friendship circle that you are mostly hanging out with people who are just like you, who think like you, and who look like you, that tells me that you cannot fully understand the full gamut of how to be an American only because we are not just one group of people. We are all different kinds of individuals. And as a result of that, that means that we now have to figure out a way to be more inclusive with all parts of our lives. Um, the struggle for that, I think, for most people has been um, really uh, the other side of it is being inclusive and saying, hey, I want to now talk to you and have that conversation. Because when it comes to race, emotion is involved. Um, a lot of people don't want to uh, – the, the wounds that happen in our country around slavery still are felt today. And a lot of people want to believe that that is so long ago. My mother and my grandmother, my mother picked cotton in South Carolina. And I try to tell people her grandmother was part of the slave. And it's understanding that that's our history. We're not talking about hundreds of years ago. We're literally talking about one generation away and two generations away from individuals. It wasn't until, I want to say, 2013 that Mississippi technically ratified the Constitution to abolish slavery. And we found that out because of the movie Lincoln. When that movie was made, we finally realized, oh, wait a minute, they didn't actually do it. And I share that only as a data point to say that when your laws are non-inclusive, you cannot expect all of your residences to also be inclusive. There's a lot of stuff that has to change for us to get to where we need to be as a country. Agree uh, wholeheartedly. Let's continue with the calls. We go to John in California on line two next. John, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I, I got a question for your guest. Yes. Um, you, you had cited a study a few minutes ago on um, people who had applied for jobs. And I was wondering how you came to the conclusion that uh, there were employers making subconscious decisions based on the sound of somebody's name over, you know, possibly the people who were maybe what skewed the results in favor of the Caucasian applicants is that they had more job experience and something like that might even indicate a, a more systemic problem uh, that needs to be remedied, but but what made you draw the conclusion that it was uh, uh, the employer making a subconscious decision that they may not have even known about? Right, and the study I'm citing is uh, from July 2003. It's called, Are Emily and Greg More Employable Than Lakeisha and Jamal? And the reason why we can make that assessment is because the resumes were identical. There was no oh. difference in credentials, none. The only difference was their name. Okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> thank you. You're quite welcome. And thank you uh, for for uh, calling and for the question. Let's uh, see on Twitter. We got lots of different things uh, tweeting. Uh, let uh, we 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 talk and posted about uh, your 
you know, belief, and, and I agree with you that it's definitely one of, uh, that America's biggest problem is a constant denial that it has a race problem, and I agree with that. And we asked uh, people agree or disagree and what they feel can be done to fix uh, this problem. Anthony says, be open and honest. Unequal justice, poor schools, poor wages disproportionately affects minorities. You know, one, do you agree with that? And, and do your findings show that throughout the years? And two, this is not going to be a fast overnight fix. Lastly, combined with this, some of those that have the power to fix it may not want to fix it because, you know, they benefit from the unequal justice, the unequal education system, the unequal wages and the disparity in wages and so forth. Right. We, we have never, in my opinion, in this country had um, a system that has been really fair and balanced. I know that's the, always been the goal, but if you actually peel back the layers of the data while we're talking about race today, women have never been treated fairly in terms of how they're paid uh, in different companies. Um, and it's just understanding that when we know that information, now what do we do with it? Um, I said long ago, it's, it takes someone who realizes and inclusive to understand that if you really want to make change, you have to start with yourself. So the first thing I share with people is we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, are we being as fair and balanced in everything that we're doing with our, in, within our lives? When we look at media and television, do we immediately see individuals who are, for example, uh, pick, uh, um, uh, protesting, and if they're African Americans, we think they're rioting and looting, as opposed to white individuals who are doing the same exact thing after a ball game, and we somehow think, oh, that there must be rowdy teenagers. But the behavior is identical. It's understanding that we have never really lived in a world in America, I think, where we truly have been fair and how we've treated every single person. And I think the only way to get to that point where we now are doing that is we now have to, uh, like the, uh, the person answers the question, is we have to be honest, not just with you know, the state of America, but with ourselves. We make a conscious decision every Sunday for those of us who go to church, and we somehow sit next to the left and the right and the front and the back of us with someone who looks just like us, who acts like us possibly, and yet we think that we're very inclusive. And I've shared all along that if it's about Jesus and God, why do we make a decision about race first? If it was about Jesus and our religion, we would have gone to the very first church that was literally within our neighborhood because we would have thought, oh, that's where we want to go. But we don't make those decisions. I think we make a lot of decisions by race and gender first and culture, and it's about comfort. And a lot of us have to really figure out how do we step out of that comfort zone? How do we now reach across the aisle to say, hey, you're very different than me, but that difference doesn't make me want to treat you differently. That difference makes me want to lean in and say, I want to learn more because now I know more about how I can be a better person because I know more about you. We uh, also have uh, on uh, Twitter somebody, you know, of course, we're going to have all different comments because I want to see what they responded this uh, comment to. The the same thing about America's biggest problem and the constant denial. Police state said you could sterilize anyone with an IQ below 80 weighted generation then turn the South into a wildlife reserve. I don't know if they mean that to be racist or they just mean that to be a division between North and South and Southern attitude with regard to race as opposed to North. But because they made that comment, um, I, I, you know, not not keeping with the spirit in which they intended it, uh, but bringing some perhaps uh, truth out of it, um, there are different attitudes in the North and the South toward race relations, correct? There is. I mean, I, and I, I think I have this data point correct. Uh, I want to say it's 2001, maybe shortly thereafter. Um, it might have been 2010, but I think it's 2001 or so. It's when South Carolina made it officially um, no longer illegal to be interracially married. And I think that's very 
I, I, it's important to understand that um, because different states have different laws. Um, and Bob Jones University is one of the largest universities in South Carolina. You might remember during the I think it was the first or the second uh, Bush uh, run for presidency, they still had in the books that if you were a student, you could not interracially date or they would kick you out. Understanding those laws in some states still exist, uh, I think, across this country, and maybe not to that extent around interracial dating, but in some way there are laws that still are held in the books that keep us separate. I don't think that if I think that if we all knew about that information, we would all take a stance and say this is wrong. And as a result of that, I, as I said before, I think those laws are an undercurrent for what really is happening in America. If we don't recognize that our foundation is built on an idea of us being unequal, um, then we have to figure out, okay, how do I first recognize that? And then now that I see that, how do I now move forward? What do I need to do specifically um, within my community to try to make a difference? Um, and that is, I think, making yourself, your family, your friends, your colleagues, um, your legislators aware that we need to make a change here. We're seeing that right now with the flag um, in South Carolina. I've seen uh, in, uh, that Mississippi is now making uh, so their governor, I think, or mayor is making a change to try to see if they can remove the Confederate part of their flag. But we have to look at every part of America and say, where do we see disparities? Where do we see um, uh, our laws and our foundation where we've already been set up for failure when it comes to be inclusive? Um, so many uh, different uh, points here. Dana says, you have to break the addiction to hate speech. It's a learned addictive behavior. And we also have to stop letting the rich hire half the poor and kill the other half. Any comments? <laughs> I don't suggest we kill anyone. I'm definitely not for doing that. But I will say I agree with you on the hate speech. Um, and that's on every level. Um, that's not just uh, at minorities, but that's also around uh, people with disabilities, that's around women on every level. It is a part of our culture. Um, it is a part that I think in our media that we've uh, grown to accept. But we have to now unravel that and say, is this really healthy? Um, I submit if you're being bombarded with messages in television, for example, that tell you um, that it's uh, okay to say these different terms to women or these different terms to these kind of individuals, then it's not surprising that I would now see, uh, for example, that you would now mimic that behavior in your everyday life. Um, I think we're all connected to each other. Um, I don't have the exact quote, but Dr. Maya Angelou talked about that we really have uh, everything you take in, everything you consume, everything you see, everything you touch is a part of who you are. Um, and I think that when we see people making those hate speeches or using those kind of terminology, we have to turn around and say, okay, wait a minute, that's not right. You can't do that. Um, I actually uh, yesterday had a friend of mine say something hateful about the Caitlyn Jenner situation. And I actually pointed out to him, that's not okay. And he said that he didn't mean it in a hateful way, but I, and I, knew, I understood that, but I also couldn't let that go. And I think so many times we let those kind of things go thinking they're minor, and I keep telling people they're major because one thing leads to another which leads to another. Absolutely. Great uh, uh, having uh, you with us. Um, I, like I said, there's uh, people that are saying that. Uh, one of the uh, tweeters said that the conversation has to be had but it's in a very quiet space, almost like a vacuum right now that we have to fill. James, thank you for joining us. Follow him on Twitter at James E. Wright. The website, jameswantstoknowyou.com. Change is strong, and you can experience it at Gold's Gym. For a limited time only, join the most supportive and dedicated community in fitness for just $1. Get access to the latest cardio and strength equipment, the best group exercise classes, and expert personal trainers dedicated to your success. 
A stronger you is waiting at Gold's Gym today. Tap the banner now for a free pass. Offer ends February 29th. Valid with select new memberships at participating locations only. Commitment required. Annual fee and other restrictions may apply. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.